Hello everybody, it's Colin Ellis here. Welcome to another Culture, just another Culture and Coffee podcast for Monday, the 20th of March, 2023. I've got to, I've got to say, it's uh, it's kind of nice. I feel like I haven't done a podcast, I've recorded a podcast at home for the longest time. It feels so good not to have all of the noise that comes associated with a coffee shop. It's good, right? Like, hopefully you get a sense of it. Um, where I am at any particular time, but also it's it's it can be noisy. Uh, I won't I won't lie. It, it can be noisy, so it's nice to be in the peace and quiet of my own home, having made my own coffee here, and not worried about what's going on in the background. Uh, anyway, I hope you had a lovely weekend. I'm going to talk today. Um, I'm going to talk about what is culture. I realised when I was planning the the podcast last week. I haven't actually done a podcast where I explain what culture is. And I think there's often an assumption made that we we know what it is. And, I, and I've obviously made the same assumption, having never written a podcast uh, about it. So I'm going to do that um, today. I want to give you some snippets of what I, I... I generally like to spend Sunday, particularly when I'm writing a book, I, I like to spend Sunday doing some research. What a great way to spend the weekend. Uh, yeah, so some interesting facts for you from the research this weekend, some of which will go in the new book, some some of which most definitely won't. Uh, did you know that uh, the popularity of golf has soared uh, for for weekdays uh, by 84%, so more people, 84% um, increase in golf during the week? What does that tell you about hybrid work? Yeah, that's that balance, right? I think one of the things that I was talking about recently is people are spreading their working days uh, with, uh, you know, with hybrid work, which is still a privilege. 80% of the world work, world's uh, working population still can't work hybrid. So it's worth bearing that in mind. It's still a massive privilege. But I think, you know, people are, have got what they would consider to be a greater balance. And yeah, I, I do feel that lots of people lack discipline. You may be one in actually kind of making it work because they're working all hours of the day, all hours of the night. There's a real lack of discipline. Anyway, uh, that's just one start I thought you'd be interested in. Um, lots of other things. There's one organisation, which is Citibank, who I read about the weekend. They they don't do hybrid work, but the CEO has given employees the last two weeks, those that can work hybrid, the last two weeks of the year, working from home in the run-up to Christmas. So I thought that was a good take. That's something slightly different, you know, and I, I've long talked about the fact that it's uh, it's an experiment. Um, and so that was one good, uh, one good thing. Um, there's, there was a great uh, piece from um, MIT Sloan, the top five working definitions of 2022, which this is what I, I like this one, family ghosts. Fundamental attitudes and behaviours from early family dynamics that play out in the work environment. Yeah, I, I've I've brought my family ghosts to work once or twice when uh, when I was an employee, and definitely see it playing out today. Anyway, just thought you'd be interested in that. So, um, what am I drinking today? Well, I'm drinking a Colombian coffee. I know what you're thinking. A Colombian coffee, Colin. Another one. It's the second Colombian coffee in three podcasts. It doesn't come up for a year, and then it's twice in a month. Um, so yes, I am drinking an Edelberto Vergara from Colombia, uh, which is roasted by Maker Coffee in Melbourne. Um, I don't know if you know this, Colombia is the third highest producer of coffee in the world. 
Brazil is first, which probably comes as no surprise. Vietnam is second. I haven't. I don't think I've ever done a Vietnam coffee. Well, I've had a Vietnamese coffee, which I love, and they love their sugar in the Vietnamese coffee. Uh, but um, yes, yeah, so I must. I must try and get my hands on a on a Vietnamese coffee, and then it, and then it's Colombia. Of course, Colombia is more associated with drugs, unfortunately. Uh, it's the fourth largest drug trafficking country, third largest coffee, fourth fourth largest drug. But 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 but, but Colombia is much more than this. Obviously, it's associated with Carlos the Jackal and all of that. Much more, and uh, it's one of those countries that I haven't been to South America. And uh, I uh, I really do need to, to get to South America. I'm really looking forward to getting there at some stage. Uh, so if any any organisations... Oh, no, I can't do that. That's shameless. I'm not doing that. Um, yes. Yeah, Colombia. So uh, mid-18th century, or the early 18th century, Colombia was uh, documented, documented as a coffee-producing country. And what I like about Colombian coffee, it's not too heavy. I think with some of the African coffees, and if you're a listener to this podcast, you know I like the Ethiopian coffees, can be quite heavy, quite earthy, definitely Kenyan ones, you know, really full, rich-bodied. Um, the Cumberland coffees are really, really easy to drink, really easy to drink. And um, so, yes, so Colombian coffee today. Yeah, why would I like to go to Colombia? Beaches, I suppose. Glaciers, it's got everything. Right? That salt cathedral, it's got a massive salt cathedral, uh, which I think is underground. So yes, I'd love to go there. Um, the coffee today uh, is, it's got notes of cherry, grapefruit and cane sugar. It's the pink bourbon varietal. Let's have a taste. See, it's just so much lighter. That's so smooth. Um, cherry and cane sugar, definitely. I'm not getting any grapefruit, I have to say. But it's early in the morning, I suppose. I don't know. Do your taste buds take time to wake up? Maybe. I don't know. Right. Let's get on to the coffee. Never really talked about culture. So let's talk about what it is. And I could talk about this for about 45 minutes. And regularly do. So let's see if I can do it in 20 minutes. I, let's, let's go with the genesis of working culture. Like, how is it built in the first place? We, we just, we, you know, like I mentioned at the top, we take it for granted people know and I, you know, one of the things I, I talk a lot to to human resources professionals, as you would expect, and a lot of them don't know. And it it's not that it's bad or wrong; it's just it needs to be understood if you to create a good one, obviously. So, working culture obviously has genesis in social culture. So, the social culture in which you live plays a big, big part in your working culture. I mean, it's kind of an obvious thing to say. So, for example, if you work in Japan. The working culture is very different if you work in the UK. If you work in Australia, it's very different if you work in the US. And you might think, oh, yeah, it's obvious. Yeah, but is it? I mean, Japan, you can kind of understand, I think, that in the sense that there's very, very, very little immigration. I think 98% of the population is, is indigenous Japanese. Very, very little immigration. But you take a country like New Zealand, for example, New Zealand, certainly pre-pandemic anyway, you know, lots and lots of immigration. And, and as a result, its its culture is a sum of lots and lots of different cultures. You know, I remember when we moved over in 2007, you know, uh, lots and lots of Brits, uh, lots of Indians, just lots of different nationalities. Here in Melbourne, where, I'm, where I am at the minute, um, you know, we, we've got a large Greek community, we've got a large Croatian community. 
a large Italian community just down the road in Ligon Street. It just lots and lots of different. So, you know, cities, countries are made up of the different social cultures, but the culture generally is driven by the prevailing social culture. So, for example, here in Australia, the prevailing social culture is kind of social. Um, and, and so things like highly social. So going for a beer after work is normal. Going for a beer during work. No, after work is kind of normal. Going down the beach like after work, particularly in summer, is is normal. You know, we joke all the time, there are those very stereotypical shrimps on the barbie. Um, but that's that's part of the social culture, right? It's it's quite laid back, I would say, the Australian social culture. You know, coming for someone, for, for, for someone coming from the UK, having a cup of tea, like a cup of tea is the answer to every single problem in Britain, obviously. Uh, we don't really talk about our feelings in Britain, where well, we do in Australia. We talk about our feelings a lot. Um, in the UK, we definitely don't talk about our feelings. We talk about the weather, if anything, uh, as a way of letting you know how we feel. Uh, so, you know, di- very, very different in the way that the social culture is made up. So that's the first element to working culture. The second element is obviously the people and their personalities. Different people from different backgrounds with different ideas and different personalities. And people are the ones that really drive and maintain the social culture. So social culture is the first element. Second element is people and their personality. Your social culture generally doesn't change. Every now and again, there'll be some kind of major event that happens. Um, in Iran at the minute, there's, there's, there's somewhat of a revolution. Uh, you know, and every, every 10 to 15 years, there's an inkling of something. But then the people really need to stick together in order to change the prevalent social culture. It, it, and, it, you know, I, had a, I got asked a question a couple of weeks ago. Can it be changed by things like earthquakes at the time? We were uh, talking about the, the earthquake in Turkey. Well, it, that can force political change if the government of the day are seen not to have done something that they shouldn't have done. But it really requires the people to kind of come together and and demand something different. But the prevailing, you know, social culture, it it doesn't change too often. The US has undergone a bit of a change, I would say, in the last six, seven years. And that's as a result of politics quite divisive now. Obviously, the UK with Brexit, um, you know, it's quite, quite different than than it was. Um, But people, different people, different personalities. So, so social culture is the first element. People and personalities are the second because, you know, different people have got different ideas, different ways of processing information. And they're looking for different things from organizations. And so the third element of working culture is purpose values that an organization puts out there. So, so what do organizations stand for? And of course, this changes over time. You know, I, I, quite candid about the fact that when I first started work in the in the late 1980s, no organization was talking about its purpose. Very few organizations were thinking about climate change, were thinking about sustainability. Very few were doing all of that. It was still about per, per, it was still about profit. Don't get me wrong. You know, my first job was with a bank. It was all about profit. Um. But, but you know, kind of companies, what they stand for, what they project in the world, you know, that's the third element. And people are attracted by 
uh, you know, what, what, what an organization stands for. Uh, and like I said, generationally, if organizations didn't move with the times, then, you know, nobody would go and work for them because they're like, yeah, we don't we don't really like what we see. And over time, the social culture can demand something different of our organizations. So, so you know, sustainability is a case in point. The social culture, what you know, pretty much says, listen, we, we, we have somewhat of a climate and uh, emergency. So our, we, what we expect of our organizations is for them to be responsible. We expect them to, you know, where they can reduce their carbon footprint. Um, we, we expect them to think about ways in which they can, you know, be more energy friendly, all of these kind of things. And um, also, I think, you know, where there's a global movement around immorality of profit making, these kinds of things, the social culture demands something, I hope you're still with me. What what I'm saying is that the, the prevailing social culture of the day expects something different of its organizations. My dad's generation, you know, kind of the baby boomers, they were coming out of the war, particularly in the UK where, where I was brought up. What they demanded was prosperity. What they demanded was jobs. Uh, it, you know, it was less about, oh, does this organization really speak to the social culture of the day? Gee, they just come out of the war. Um yeah, you know, yeah, there's a good. There's an example. Is war was very much seen is seen as a really, really bad thing, which it is today. Back then, it was seen as necessary to remain to 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 uh, retain global order. So all of these three things: so social culture, wherever you are in the world, people and personality, different ideas, different personalities, and purpose and value. So what organizations stand for, all of those three things converge in the middle. And from those three things, we're able to build a social culture. Now, if you're you're part of a global organization, that has to be understood at a very, very high level because what you expect from your global organization is they put real thought, time, effort into educating people on that, on those things. You know, I'm doing two of these engagements right now with global organizations, which I absolutely love, where we take the time to make sure that everything that, that we from an organization perspective put out to our to our employees is about the purpose the thing that we stand for make sure the mission is really clear and make sure that our values are understood then we need to educate our managers globally on what culture is because what we want is for them to build their own subculture within their own country remember you can't just and, and I think many organizations make this mistake. They want to put out, because they want to tick all the culture boxes, and it's not its not a bad thing, you know, I, I, I have to applaud the effort. Um, but, but if you go about it in the wrong way, all you do is confuse people. Each manager in each country has to create their own culture aligned to the purpose, values, mission of the global organization. Global organizations can't dictate behaviors because they differ country to country. Um, What you don't want country to country is them creating their own values. You have to build something that's aligned to the global values. And everybody has to go about culture in a similar way. But the culture in each country is not going to be exactly the same. Now, when we do things like diversity and inclusion initiatives, which which really challenge biases, 
we have to recognize that the cultural mix is different country to country. So, you know, take a country like Malaysia, uh, which is which is a mix of four different social cultures, really, You've got British, Chinese, the prevailing Malayan culture. You've also got Singaporean. You know, you've got all of these kind of cultures that all come together in Malaysia. You know, Singapore is another great example of a of a country that that is a mix of different social cultures and in and, and each manager within each country has to do a similar thing and then there are six elements for those of you who listen to the podcast you know there are six elements to working culture so if the three elements to build working culture are social culture people personality um and then uh, purpose values what the organization stands for then it's only natural that purpose and values are at the core, purpose, values, vision are at the core of our working culture. Because they're the things that really then, you know, kind of drive our decision making. So now we're coming down to a more micro level. If the macro level, how we build social culture, uh, how we build working culture, then the micro level is the elements of culture. So, at the, you know, at the heart of every great culture is is vision, in in purpose that's at the heart and that's aligned to what the organization stands for so you might create you wouldn't create a different purpose but you might create your own vision for your own country but it's got to be aligned to what the organization's trying to do now the way into any culture of course is through its people and through its personality and this is all about relationship building so once you're in the working culture, what are you doing to maintain those set of real, healthy working relationships where you can have empathy, where you can have compassion, where you can have healthy friction? These things are super important to make sure that we've got what we call cognitive dissonance, different ideas from different people. And so going back to that diversity and inclusion programs, what you want is an appreciation, not only that everybody is different, that people are from different social backgrounds and it's only through our difference that we have strength, right? But we also then want to make sure that when we build our working culture, we have an appreciation of the different social cultures. Now, from, from you know, we'll do... For me, I see kind of... I, I see it on a small scale. I don't want to be critical because I think lots of organisations do lots of great things. We, we we tend to focus a lot on 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 gender diversity which is which is crucially important because we're only i mean we're not even part of the way to solving that problem actually if you read some of the gender pay gap um, research that I do but also what we want is cognitive diversity and we want this appreciation that different people are from different backgrounds and we make an assumption that when people you know kind of work in a particular social culture that they should conform to our social culture it doesn't work like that so we have things like Diwali and Chinese New Year and all of these good things um, but we need to make sure that we do it for every culture for every working culture within our working culture is how do we have an appreciation of that uh, values it's important that and this is you know i'm doing this this work with with, with a couple of organizations at the minute is how do how do people put values into action it's pointless having a set of values if you don't know actually how to put them into action and this is you know kind of then where you get down to the real nitty-gritty day-to-day you know kind of very very human interactions um, so the, the the six pillars of workplace culture i've already mentioned vision purpose is one then you've got uh, people and personality and communication, so how people talk to each other, that's two. 
Third is values. How do we put values into action? Fourth is then behavior. What do we expect of each other as human beings on a day-to-day basis? And you shouldn't really have to, shouldn't really have to do this, but we do because some people still don't know how to behave. But also it's about celebrating the behavior that we see. So any recognition and reward programs should be aligned to human behavior. Because any any parent listening to this, you know, if you get good behavior from your child, you praise the behavior because you want more of the behavior. And so, you know, we learn this very, very early on as children. If we receive praise, we know to repeat the thing that we receive praise for. Uh, And same is true of adults, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately, it's just who we are as human beings. So, um, yeah, behavior. So things like recognition and reward fit into behavior. Things like performance management fit into um, behavior Um, to make sure, you know, things like things like pay and benefits all fit into behavior. Because you might think, yeah, it's about technical ability. And of course it is to a degree about technical ability. But actually, we want people to get remunerated for the behavior that they demonstrate, for the mindset that they have, for the attitude that they have. That's how we should be remunerating people. That's how we should be measuring people based on those things. So that's the fourth element. The fifth element is collaboration. So how do we work together? So what processes do we have? You know, kind of what legislation do we have to conform to? How do we set our workspaces up? So hybrid working, when people talk about hybrid working, yeah, it demands a change in behavior, it demands a change in collaboration. It's only a small element of it, though, kind of where you're, where you're actually based. So how do you set your office up for success? How do you set your workplace up for success? Have you got the tools for people to be able to do the job? Not just technology, but assets, you know, um, if, if if you run a small gardening business, for example, do you have all of the right tools? Is everything sharp so that your employees are able to do the things that they're able to do? You know, from a collaboration perspective, are you coming together to set expectations in the right way? Um, are you, if you're using technology, does everybody know how to use it? It's obvious, I know, but a lot of people still don't know how to use Microsoft Teams properly. People don't, definitely don't know how to present using Microsoft Teams. Jeez, I've been on the receiving end some rubbish presentations. Is it working? I'm sharing my screen. Can you see it? Do you not know? Um, and then lastly, there's the, the last pillar of workplace culture is innovation. So how do we use data to make sure that we constantly evolve to meet the challenges of tomorrow. How do we make sure that it's safe to fail? Not that we should be trying to fail, but what we want to do is almost kind of, well, no, not kind of. What we definitely want to do is encourage what we call entrepreneurship, people to take a bit of a punt on an idea and work on it. But most people aren't making time for creativity. Most people are stuck in the cycle of being too busy. Not not that they're productive, they're just too busy um, because they're not very good at prioritizing, uh, which generally fits into collaboration, by the way, understanding how to prioritize. So you've got these six elements of workplace culture uh, that all sit at the heart of how culture is built, which is working culture. You almost, if you look at it as a circle, it always drops right into the middle there. So the social, just to sum up, I hope, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope, it, I hope it's made sense. You know, I'll go about an hour later, I'll be sat there with another cup of coffee thinking, did that really make sense? I don't do it very often, honestly, except after every podcast. 
So there's three elements to make working culture. Those three elements are social culture, where you are in the world, people and their personalities, different ideas from different humans, and what organizations stand for. And then workplace culture, the six elements to that. There's lots of three of this and six of this. Six elements to that, which is purpose and vision, uh, people, uh, uh, personality communication, values, behavior, collaboration, and innovation. And all of those things together, once we educate our managers, they then know what culture is. And then, and only then, can they go and build a really vibrant one. Hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Have a great day wherever you are. It's Rafa now.